0: Right? We, we want to think in terms of the real dynamics of social transformation as being more complicated, more nuanced more interesting, more terrifying right? there's no simple uh, there's no simple fix of being able to, oh we're only, we're the from below approach and that's like supposed to be the magic uh, the, the magic formula for you know, avoiding accidentally being from above uh, there are no easy outs uh, here, I guess Hello, and welcome to
1: The Regrettable Century. I'm Chris.
0: I'm Kevin. And I'm Jason.
1: And we are missing Jenny today, but she should be back next time, and hopefully we can have an episode where we're all together again. But today, we are talking about the concept of socialism from below. And, uh, you know, we all came out of a tradition where socialism from below was sort of a slogan that was at the was supposed to be the basis of the way that we organized and the type of society that we wanted to build
2: uh, my you know my first exposure to the notion of socialism from below uh, was really appealing to me and I, and the, I think that the slogan the phrase is really appealing it really gets at the core absolutely. It gets at the core of the, the the sort of the critique of the problems with uh, many of Marxist attempts at social change in a really uh, pithy way, you know. Uh, and so th- it's got a, a real um, visceral appeal, I think, to a lot of people's, um, you know, the the reason that people came to socialism in the first place, which is that you know you you give a shit about human beings and you don't. It's not. <laughs> Not because you care about uh, bureaucracies and, you know, wonky policy or whatever. Uh, yeah, and you you care about taking power out of the hands of the few and putting it in the hands of the many. But, uh, you know, when you actually look at what it is that, in particular, Hal Draper is talking about in Socialism from Below, it starts to get real fuzzy as to what the hell it is he's even really talking about. It starts uh, not being very clear. Uh, the, the concept itself starts looking... Uh kinda incoherent honestly
0: yeah i was I was gonna say it might be worth us defining the terms really quick i mean essentially, the thesis is that you know there's there's the top down or socialism from above, which is basically reformist governments in a capitalist state or any government that comes to power as a result of a military coup or the whatever bureaucratic usurpation of power in some way. That then tries to like hand down social like let basically legislate uh, social transformation right and social socialism from below is meant to be the sort of the response, which is the genuine tradition of radical democratic upsurge and the you know the the, the real movement that abolishes the present order of things which Marx called communism and whatever. And yeah, I always saw the appeal in that because I, I thought it was I don't know why anybody would be in favor of what we call socialism from above.
1: So to put Draper in his context, he is speaking out against Stalinist state and its offshoots. Specifically, that's his, that is his main point of criticism, is the USSR, the satellite states in Eastern Europe, China, pretty much any of the bureaucratic socialist states that are offshoots of Stalinism. But that's not all. He is also referring to the labor government in britain and the social democratic governments that exist in western europe he even goes so far as to uh critique precursors of marxism such as the utopian socialists and the Blanquists and the german social democratic party
0: yeah so like one note i wrote for myself is um why do we have the term or framework of socialism from below and like that that kind of lays it out pretty well um and i think you know as like a kind of rallying call whatever i could see it has a certain utility mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um you know like just a moment ago i was saying like when i was introduced to the concept or the term i recall i was you know saying i, I I don't know why anybody would be in favor of what we call socialism from above, but it's over, over, over time, I think what I've found is that with the exception of the kind of weird uh, Bush era, like SovietEmpire.com type internet tankies, uh, no one is actually in favor of what we call socialism from
2: above.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are internet tankies that are like, uh, basically the, the left-wing version of the alt-right edgelord.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly um, what they are
1: no serious Marxists are in favor of just bureaucratic dictatorship for the sake of bureaucratic dictatorship.
0: Right. And, and there aren't scores of people in the, you know, tradition of the kind of uh, official communist movement, the, you know, common form era Mm -hmm. parties or, you know, people who kind of draw their political inspiration from from Mao Zedong and the Chinese revolution uh, who, who are against like objectively against what we call, what we have called socialism from below. Even, Um, even the most devout tanky who
1: is serious about Marxism will try to explain away the bureaucracy and the dictatorship as either a temporary or necessary Uh, Evil, essentially, you know, Um, and then or either either that or they will try to buttress the idea that uh, there is this, you know, bureaucratic sort of structure that is 100 percent backed by the people. And it is, you know, has the people's involvement and they're if they they do have democratic uh, recourse. And if they didn't if they didn't approve of it, then they would do away with it. Sort of our kind of arguments that you hear. Which, yeah. to a certain extent, I is kind of true.
2: Yeah. Um, Insofar in as it goes, yes. I, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I would be hesitant to give it too much credence, though. You know, but but no, no, you're right. no. I mean, uh,
1: I would almost just not even say that because I don't want it to be misinterpreted. Yeah, but there is a certain <laughs> level. <laughs> there is a certain level of acquiescence that
0: is involved.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, and and I think you know the the. The kind of primary primary political argument here is that um, even you know in an era where people are making a defense of Brezhnev's intervention in Czechoslovakia in '68, these are this, these people also would have under did understand themselves as being people who were in favor of working class revolt, uh, or you know, channeled through working class organization, uh, working class control, right. Uh, like they're they're not people who would reject the the outlined defining politics of socialism from below like yeah we're for all that um yeah so that kind of leads me to the next question that i had wrote down for for myself which is to like to what extent was this ever a useful framework and i and i kind of think it might not have been a very useful framework if only because it really I think it misses it misses some fundamental things about it, even what it attempts to critique. Right. Uh, so the first thing is that um, social democracy in practice in, in in Europe during the Cold War, you know, Labour governments under like Clement Attlee in in the UK, or the sort of the shining example of, of the Swedish social democrats were never governments that ruled, you know, Uh, over the heads of an utterly passive working class and in fact you know like their their gains are legendary for having been the result of a combination of having elected a labor or social democratic government and then gone out on strike and engaged in lockouts and you know that there's this kind of (laughs) this this reciprocal dialectical relationship between the movement on the ground and the administration of the state and then the same is true of the Stalin era too like when i first read about the how oh, i forget the number i wrote it down but it's like 75,000 volunteers from the cities to go into the countryside and like help lead the collectivization drive you know it was more than 75,000
2: that volunteered and they whittled it down to somewhere around 25,000 uh, to actually got sent out right
0: okay so you know it's the you know the, that book the best sons of the fatherland was very eye opening to me and another one was the um storming heaven about the soviet militant league of the godless or whatever
1: league of the militant godless yeah
0: yeah these like mass organizations that like respond to a sort of kind of the government puts out a call and then like proletarian enthusiasm for the program of the state you know um and which is not to say to like push aside the the, the legitimate critiques of stalinism and social democracy is obviously looking backward failed attempts but it's just so much more complex and more You can't really analyze them if you only understand them as being, you know, from above without acknowledging the corresponding from below element in the reciprocal relationship.
1: I'm going to go ahead and uh, throw in the Czechoslovak example that I always throw in. And that is like uh, during the period between 1945 and 1948, you had the bourgeois parliamentary institution of government uh, running the Czechoslovak state with edvard Benish and he was basically the uh representing the allies in the West while um Clement Gottwald was representing you know the Soviet Union or not the soviet union the communists and uh they were sort of vying for power and what the the way that things ended up working out was through a series of strikes and uh workplace occupations and um just demands by the, the people, the, the socialist movement in Czechoslovakia. You had uh, more and more nationalizations happening. You had uh, basically a system of socialization happening by degrees through the parliament. And what eventually ended up happening is uh, Gottwald demanded control of the government. And um, the workers went out on strike and basically brought the country to a standstill and Benish was forced to hand over control
0: yeah i mean and they, that's
1: how czechoslovakia became socialist
0: that's the they, they had like a general strike of like basically every major industry right
1: mhm and i mean um, i'm not saying that the czechoslovak government was fucking great and it's a you know that is an example of things being done in that reciprocal relationship of calls from above and calls from below and uh, sort of like a dialectical relationship of socialism from above and below happening, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, and this is also the, uh, the experience of, the actual experience of 1917, right? Yes. Um, there's basically no period in which there isn't revolutionary government, you know, exercising power, control, administration, and a mobilized working class making demands upon it Acting upon it in an influential way, mm-hmm. with the expectation that it will respond to uh, the pressures that it's puts on it. You know, it's it's meant to be uh, the vehicle of the sentiments expressed by the masses in their various in their unorganized and in their organized ways. And really, like, look, like it's it's an interesting thing to celebrate the Bolsheviks as like uh, this is the this is the representatives of the socialism from below tradition because like i mean what did they do without making any judgments here which has been hundred years ago they outlawed other parties they <laughs> executed the ruling family uh requisition grain at some at one point they outlawed strikes they pressed uh they they uh, they had a draft of peasants into the army and i think you know they Let's call it. They they utilized the state, right? They exercised power. Um, it's very much from above. I'm going to go um, so far as to say that they were like right <laughs> in doing so. <laughs> sure, but like you know, and in, in the in the sort of Trotskyist tradition, we we kind of I mean of, they fucked up sometimes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure, but any, any necessarily any appeal to a dialectical relationship of below and above is is inherently going to include some aspects of the above half of that equation. Yeah. Or, or that relationship, um, uh, being being right or or you know justified or you know uh, like yeah. uh, looked at upon favorably. Yeah.
0: And like when we talk about like um, there's this. This really great lesson, uh, supposed lesson of how there's no democratic road to socialism in Chile in the se- in 1970s, you know, because they the popular unity gets a, uh, wins the majority and Salvador Allende becomes president. And then, you know, there's a capital strike and there's a military coup. And, uh, you know, in, in order to come to the defense of the republic, the working class mobilizes, but isn't armed. And so they can't. And so then Iende is sort of defeated, um, but like you know, if they had been armed, or if the, or even if the, if if just that the expectation is that they might need to mobilize in defense of the republic, it raises this whole other question because what it I think what it illustrates is the is the inherent link, the dynamic between the exercise of power as it does exist in whatever form you can grasp it, and then the pressure um, of the of the revolutionary mass to use it and to shape it and reform it and and reshape it Mm -hmm. Um, i mean
1: so the the example of allende is always set forward as the failure of social democracy and i think that up to a certain to a certain point like that that is a failure of social democracy because allende trusted in the the system when he should have armed the workers when they were asking for weapons right yeah yeah and, but that's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem is like, it's not that social democracy is not a useful tool for pushing the situation forward. It's that it ceases to be useful at a certain point. And Allende came up against that when a military coup happened. Um, I think yeah. it, I think it would it'd make a little bit of sense to talk about some of the things that Draper considered to have been socialism from below that to me, kind of don't really make very much sense. And I think you mentioned, you mentioned Lenin and the Bolsheviks as kind of being a strange example for, for Hal Draper to, to use as socialism from below. Another one being Eugene Debs in the Socialist Party. Like, he refers to it as revolutionary democratic socialism, which is exactly what the SPD was in Germany until it wasn't. You know what I mean?
0: Right like that's that's Kautsky.
1: Yeah, Kautsky Kautsky to a certain point was a revolutionary social democrat. And what Lenin was was a Kautskyist that carried the revolution part forward whereas Kautsky in his old in his dotage kind of like balked at that point, you know?
0: Yeah, that's the the Socialist Party of America is a is an interesting choice because it's this, you know it's this, this large contradictory phenomenon. Um, and certainly, there is the the kind of strict parliamentarian reformer wing of the party that are basically mm-hmm. like left progressives or whatever. And it also had the element of you know the the, the wobbly types who were the direct actionists who mm-hmm. were against um, political participation of any kind or whatever. But like Debs is really personifies the desire and attempt to craft a unity of the two. Mm-hmm. You know because. You, in you know in his in his own uh, in his own terms is that you need both, you know that you need a two armed labor movement, one of direct action of of economic mobilization of strikes and and arm, and the and the arming of the class and the seizure of the productive apparatus of society, and on the other hand you need the political action wing that blocks a court injunction and passes a bill that allows for you know, the re- redistribution, re- redistribution of land and that nationalizes factories or whatever. Yeah. Like Debs, um, he doesn't get enough credit because he doesn't like write down like a, this is the thought of Debs in a treatise, right? But he doesn't get credit enough for his his political thought, which is pretty similar to that of like Palancis and Miliband. Or, more, well, let's say more Palancis today.
1: Well, I think Debs was convinced to become a socialist by reading kautsky and was very informed by kautsky's views of social democracy or democratic socialism you know yeah um and it shows if you listen to him speak you know
0: yeah um so that that leads me to uh the next question i wrote down for myself which is to what extent is this still a useful framework if it ever was to to whatever extent, we might have maybe found it useful before, and I don't think we really did or we do. Um, I think that this sort of strict adherence to a notion of like, oh, the the movement of the class, when it is being expressed properly, is socialism from below, which is this which seems, you know, akin to what Trotsky uh, said about the anarchists, which is like, no, we don't want state power because it's corrupting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas Trotsky said like, oh yeah, we absolutely want it, you know. Um, We use it to because we need to wield it um when you have an understanding of of the dynamics of social revolution as being uh it, you know it laid out in these terms i think it it starts to it, it becomes a lot more clear why so many people in um the global north in in western socialism have such trouble with the bolivarian revolution in venezuela like they have a really hard time grappling with the notion mm. Or with the understanding of the dynamics at play, you know, and the back and forth, you know, you'll hear people say like, oh yeah, like Chavez was a good dude or whatever, but like you can't legislate socialism whatever. It's like, that's the problem. What you really need is socialism from below. It's like, well, so what actually happened in Venezuela? Um, you have this kind of like liberal reformer president who gets elected and tries to pass some moderate laws, and then the the power uh, the forces of capital react violently and then the masses respond in defense of their president um and then that begins this kind of interplay between the mobilization of the people and the and the constant radicalization of the administration where chavez becomes a socialist and uh, puts out a call for a socialist party and then 7 million people join it and then that party be- wins the elections, becomes the do- the ruling party, and then workers occupy factories and squatters take over unused land and farmers take over, you know, fallow land and start to till it. And then the forces of the state convene to ratify the legality of these actions and they call it the process, you know? Yeah. Um, now, it may have stalled out uh, for a number of reasons because... Look, social revolution's really hard. It's not difficult now for me to see why so many people of our kind of milieu had such a such a hard time contending with this kind of like knee-jerk enthusiasm for what we saw happening in Venezuela. And then the kind of official orthodoxy that like, oh, this isn't the right way because it's essentially our politics were, that, were those of liberal protest. You know, don't have power. Only protest the things that people in power are doing.
1: Yeah, it's like um, it doesn't matter who's in power as long as you're protesting. You know, it doesn't matter uh, who's sitting in the White House. It matters who's sitting in. You know.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. No, to even to be really generous to the, to the the school of thought of socialism from below, it's you know it, it's more like political office isn't useful. Strikes and protests and mass movements are what get the goods. And that's true. Pressure campaigns on the forces of the state are a more useful way of getting what you need, right? Like they'll, all, you know, we used to always say, um, "It wasn't that FDR got elected that got us the New Deal; it was the CIO, it was, mm-hmm. um, it was the Teamster rebellion, it was the thirty-four uh, strike in in San Francisco, it was the steel drives, whatever." It's like that's true, but those things happened. For a number of reasons materially, but one of them was that you could go into a factory and say, hey, your president wants you to join a union because he's signed the National Recovery Act.
1: None of this is to say that we really should have gotten Hillary Clinton elected because she would have <laughs> she would have been easier to pressure than Donald <laughs> Trump. Because Yeah, uh, I just think that's probably not true. I don't think it's true at all. I think that they would have been equally unable yeah. to be moved by what the masses had to say. <laughs> But maybe like a socialist running on a socialist ticket, you know, in the presidency or in the halls of Congress could wield an immense amount of power with the organized masses behind it, you know?
2: Sure. But e- even short of that, I think this this is precisely the sort of – this is the, the virtue that could be uh, attributed to uh, the Sanders campaign in, in that he very much so – could be moved by uh, by popular movements, and he is could be pointed to uh, as an inspiration for popular popular movements and the ability for mass workers self organization to cohere under his presidency I, I think would be a lot more likely than uh, than otherwise but um all of this point points to the the problems with the framework of socialism from below are, or or perhaps uh, points to its incoherence as a framework, uh, its inability to help us as an analytical category. But I don't know if that's perfectly true. I think it's perhaps unhelpful in the sense that Hal Draper was trying to employ it. I think it was actually an accurate sort of description of council communism or uh, you know anarcho-communism, in in that or le- or maybe even some some version of left communism that that was tr- trying to uh, uh, say you know um, give voice to the other side of volunteerism or vanguardism what Marxist Leninism Leninism was becoming uh, in the hands of the Stalinized. Uh, communist party right uh it was uh, th- these are sort of counterweights uh the other side of the uh, the equation to ossified bureaucracies that were uh, appearing all over the world uh that were making an argument that were saying that you you can't um change the world by uh having a few de- uh, the the dedicated few take power and make the changes. It has to be done by the masses themselves and that is true insofar as it goes, but any time that you enter into that um formulation of social change, uh the suggestion that there is a special role for those who are dedicated to making that social change happen before the broad masses are ready to do so, uh, or even during and after, um, you know, in other words, uh, if you think that there is any role to be played by a political party, whether it's in a workers' state or you know a bourgeois parliamentary state, uh, you're no longer talking about socialism from below anymore. And I think that that's the problem that Hal Draper was uh running into with this uh, suggestion that you know certain <laughs> certain Marxist uh parties and states are doing socialism from below, and other ones are not. It that dichotomy breaks down and it doesn't make sense anymore unless you're talking about a dialectic between the two. Um, so I think as an analytical category, it's not super useful, but I think that there is uh, something to be said for it um, as a slogan, which is to say that, our, uh, or as even just like a, a rhetoric as a political argument, as a bending the stick, uh, in one way or another, it's I, I think what it does is it forces um, our attention to the necessity of uh, organizing broad popular support uh, or, or, or uh, the necessity of implanting ourselves in, in, uh, in uh, popular institutions of uh, uh, or institutions of popular power of working class power which is distinct from uh, recognizing the inherent necessity of any government that exists in the history of the world must necessarily exist uh, through on, on some level through the assent or the acquiescence uh, of the people who uh, that government rules over. That, that is true on one level, and you, and you can look at that and see that in existence happening. Um, even in the most uh, top-down authoritarian regimes, that that's different than recognizing our role as agents in social change as being people who must implant ourselves in uh, organs of working-class power rather than being uh, separately organized to take power ourselves because we are the enlightened few. Sure. Right? It, you know, uh, like that, I think that is useful for, like, focusing our attention as um, socialists, as Marxists, in a certain direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, socialism from below was a pull of attraction for building a – what Draper and then later the IST and whomever else saw as a, uh, an authentic sort of anti-authoritarian Marxist tradition. So they just doubled down on the socialism from below uh, slogan, right? I th- I think in my in my opinion it it really it really helped the neither Washington nor Moscow slogan was very helpful for making the IST the the biggest and most successful Trotskyist organization in the uh you know the, in the Cold War and post Cold War period and uh you know well good for them it worked until it didn't so <laughs> yeah I think that now socialism from below is to me something that we need sometimes, and other times we need some socialism from above, you know? I mean, like, um, uh, you know what? Czechoslovakia could have used socialism from below, a little bit more of that socialism from below that they were trying to assert in 1968, and a little bit less of the socialism from above that responded to it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, there, are, there are instances in that I think that the, the criticisms of Stalinism by the IST and by people like Hal Draper were absolutely 100% correct, but I just don't see a, first of all i don't i don't agree with his categorization and i i don't think that it has continued to be a useful category you know what i mean
0: yeah, So, well look so for the sake of argument let's say that um the whole notion of, of socialism from below as a distinct rallying cry as as a necessity um really only holds up in in as much as we we would think that the communist movement outside of the places where it was in power um, was irreformable, right? That like the, the PCF in France and, and the Communist Party USA and whatever, the KKE in Greece, that these were beyond, they, they were too far gone they were as instruments of, of bureaucratic policy, whether of like, you know, somebody entrenched in the trade union bureaucracy or, or, or even just tools of Moscow, um, but then when you see the development of like Eurocommunism as a distinct mm-hmm. trend, um, and the way in which a whole bunch of non-ruling communist parties began to distance themselves from, like you know, basically taking directives, it also starts to look like whatever historical usefulness a distinct point of, of or a distinct rallying point for like a dissident communism, whether whether it's Trotskyist or otherwise, it it, it looks like it withers away before the Soviet Union itself does, as a historical reading. And, and you know, whatever we have the benefit of hindsight to look back on a lot of these things, but it, it kind of looks like the the beginnings of a regroupment of like left forces took place while there was still a cold war. And one of the res- one of the uh, reflections of that on the other side of the Iron Curtain is. Dubček, Gomulka, or Gorbachev, Perestroika, you know, whatever. And there's plenty of problems with, with all of that stuff too. But, you know, it shows that it, even into the 1980s, there's the, the tension between, you know, what we have come to understand as like hardliners and reformers within official communism, mm-hmm. which is which might help in some way explain why Trotskyism just never really found an audience among socialist-minded workers. Because you have the shifting terrain inside social democracy and the shifting terrain inside, uh, you know, Stalinized communism or whatever. So who, who's your audience? Who's left? I mean. Other than groups of students.
1: The reason that, to me, I mean, I was immediately drawn to the figure of Trotsky.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Me too.
1: As a, you know, a figure of resistance to Stalinism. And. Still in, actually, Trotsky fucking slapped. You know, Um, turns out he did some hits. Yeah, yeah, he he did some good, some pretty cool shit. Turns out he was wrong about a whole hell of a lot of crap, and we shouldn't base an ideology on
2: the things that he was wrong about. Um, But, (laughs) (laughs) or or an ideology around any single historical figure, like even Marxism, I'm I'm a little like you know. I'm happy to uh, adopt the name Marx uh, you know uh, go go with the name Marxism uh, Kevin's about to breadth, say some fucking revisionist uh, what that, shit what that
0: I know he's he's doing some revising <laughs> yeah. as we speak
2: <laughs> I'm happy to go with Marxism despite it being uh, you know predicated on a single historical individual uh, because of the breadth of what it encompasses and the usefulness of Marx uh, uh, you know Marx's uh, f- foundational analysis but uh, my God why why would anyone like cohere adhere to a single individual if figure in history as if that person for like forever forward is, is the, the prophet, the Messiah, the, the one who has spoken the truth. It it makes no sense. Like you can take inspiration from Trotsky. Like I take inspiration from Victor Serge. Like I take inspiration from, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, a countless number of individual uh, figures and, and maybe even say, you know, one, uh, figure more than, than others, but, it just it's just it makes no sense, and it's just intellectual stultification to to try to like pretend like one person has captured the truth for all eternity, or or at least for some perpetu- uh perpetuity that we can see into the future. You know,
1: I think that's just because you haven't read the basics. You know, like Chairman <laughs> Cher- <laughs> <laughs> Chairman yeah, man, Bob. And then you got to get with BA. <laughs> Whole... Bob has put has written down a series of easily digested quotes that I mean if you just read those you would you'd
0: get it man
2: yeah like are are you not <laughs> familiar with the new synthesis I'm not familiar man maybe I, I you know I gotta get on board
0: yeah well so actually it's funny i I don't know what we do with this or whatever <laughs> but um actually it's it's funny that the new the new synthesis uh that baba Viian is so uh revered for inside the ranks of whatever there exists of the rcp is that he essentially um he's, he's, he advocates for a thing similar to what we're talking about right now because <laughs> he says like what you what, you know the, in the party and state that the problem of the 20th century has was been essentially like an over an overemphasis on the one or the other and that what, what's required is like a strong core of leadership with a lot of elasticity or for like the way in which people respond to it yeah, so it's a reassertion of the mass line, party line, two line struggle of Maoism. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very basic in a way that I don't think they realize what they're saying. And the bigger problem is that these people are loons. <laughs> but his his new synthesis is essentially that he's like, oh fuck, like what about the dialectic?
2: <laughs> <laughs> kind of like what we're saying right now.
0: Yeah. Okay. So basically, what we're saying is get with Ba. Yeah. <laughs> I might be remembering that more generously than I should. Um, I said something. Probably. Yeah, probably. (laughs) I said something about platypus that was similarly uh, more generous than it should have been. And a a friend pointed out to me, he was like, no, here's what platypus is really like. And I think the thing is, what I have is I have a tendency to try to figure out why it is that... um, people cordon themselves off in these like with with the motivating impulses behind the thing rather than necessarily the end result um this is the legacy of the cold war and the fragmentation of the workers movement is that you know people kind of seize upon like an element of of the picture and then because they're more or less marginalized um sometimes self-isolating but often not self-isolated so then they go off and like you know they start like a Marxist-humanist trend around the writings of Dunaevskaya when actually there was no reason for, like, a whole separate, like, school of thought, right? It's just, these are maybe people who should have spent some time studying the whatever humanist strain in Marxism and and being value theorists and whatever, the things that kind of define that tendency. You don't need a whole organization for that. You just need to be in an organization and doing that. (laughs)
1: I read an article by um, Mike McNair, which was the, the socialism from below a delusion, question mark, where um, he sort of uses the example of, the, uh, of a, the way that a labor party under Corbyn would govern, you know, like, yeah, let's, yeah like, let's say if Corbyn was to, you know, the, the labor party was to come to power, Corbyn was the next prime minister, the way that that would function would be they would barely have a grip on power. And would be completely unable to do anything in Parliament unless they had masses of working people coming to their support and putting pressure from below. So that a a ruling Labour Party would have to have this sort of synthesis from, of uh, socialism from above and socialism from below happening at the same time. And it's impossible to say what that would look like. It would depend on how radical how radicalized the masses were in calling for and pushing forward whatever they were trying to do and having a figure like jeremy Corbyn in there as opposed to having a figure like tony blair in there would uh make all the difference in the world when it came to realizing the uh, aspirations of a radicalized working class and that sort of illustrated the uh sort of false dichotomy between socialism from above and social- socialism from below as a like useful categories yeah that, that article had its uh, problems. Like, I think it was arguing against a straw man in the case of the IST, calling it uh, Bakuninist, when I think the IST is nowhere near conspiratorial or direct action-y enough to be Bakuninist. I would say more like it fetishizes liberal
0: protest. But... Yeah, the problem with the IST is that it wasn't Bakuninist enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's my problem. Um, Like, so... Yeah, the McNair article is not brilliant, but it is, it is useful. Um, I mean, he said some shit of, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. He said, like, a movement uh, from below that never exercises power from above is doomed to remain frozen in the realm of liberal protest politics, which is the criticism of, of anarchism by Marxists. Yes. That's the socialism from below school before it was sort of defined as such by Draper. Mm-hmm. is best personified in like you know the anarchists in the spanish revolution who were the dominant armed revolutionary the, the vanguard of the working class in in catalonia and they were like no we're not gonna like run a state man <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah so somebody else did and it didn't turn out so well
1: um I'm not thinking it would turn out too great if the anarchists were running the state either, though,
0: you know. I mean, maybe those <laughs> particular ones, maybe those particular ones might have, you know. Yeah,
2: honestly, I think that those those particular anarchists probably would have done all right if they had been willing to take power. But they were too terrified of turning into, you know, uh, I think legitimately ter- uh, terrified of turning into... Uh, What happened in in, in Russia with the Bolsheviks, you know, with Stalin coming to power, like they didn't want to replicate that either. So I I think it's, you know, hindsight's 2020. It's easy to criticize when you're looking back through the the lens of history, but it it is easy and I'm going to fucking do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you should. But I I don't know if I had been there, I would have made a different uh, choice. I do know that I probably would have uh, with the benefit of uh, the criticism of hindsight, I would like to uh, be informed by my the criticisms of Stalinism and the criticisms of the anarchists, right uh, in the in in the present moment. But so, Kevin, what you're saying is you're kind of a centrist
0: <laughs> or a poomist. The truth is, we in the middle guys. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's the
1: P O U M. It's the poom. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the poom was right. Wait,
2: what? What's the poom?
1: The P O U M is like the Unified Marxist Party. It's like a probably a bad translation. Oh, but workers. it was like it's like
0: Partido whatever P O U. Yeah, the, the Unified Marxist man. Party of Workers.
1: Yeah, it, it was basically a a collection of non-Stalinist Marxists. They they broke with Trotsky, but there were a lot of Trotskyists within the party. It, it was just a loose collection of a bunch of non-Stalinist Marxists that were like. Uh, they they had a militia and they fought alongside the uh the anarchists in uh Catalonia specifically. And that that's who George Orwell went to go fight with.
0: They also included the um Spanish section of the right opposition, the people around Bukharin, or the, mm-hmm. the international supporters of Bukharin. They kind of represented the sort of the re reconvening of the forces of The reconvening of international communism um, outside the influence of the Soviet state under Stalin. So it's like, you know, people that that were supporters of Zinoviev, people that were supporters of Trotsky and of Bukharin and whatever, they kind of like found their way back in. It doesn't really matter. I'm just belaboring a point.
1: Okay, so in the Mike McNair article that we read, he says that he sees the authoritarian and, his words, conspiratorial nature of the IST's structure as being a result of organizing around the principle of socialism from below because he says it's inherently pecuninist and inherently conspiratorial. And I think that it... that. Is sort of an inaccurate description of the way that the IST was organized. And I think it comes more from the uh, sort of fetishization of the war communism sort of Soviet Union crisis model of Leninist organizing. And it it might, this might not even be worth talking about. It's just, it was something that I saw that he talked about that I thought maybe you guys had thoughts on.
0: I do actually. Um, I think a couple, so a couple of things. I think the first is that... um as a, as the, the sort of political form that was sort of that is understood as being like the Leninist trotskyist one which you know comes from the 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 less happy times of bolshevism you mm-hmm. know um is yeah like I think what you're saying about like war communism and and the kind of political form inherited from that time, I think that's right, you know. But I think that that's different from what he's critiquing in a, in a sense because he's talking about the political practice of the group, of the mm-hmm. groups uh, that kind of come out of that, uh, the, the IST or whatever. Um, but I don't think that calling them conspiratorial and Bakuninist is right either. I think that they function really similar to like SDS, right? To like the large scale mass Radical groups of the of the new left that don't have the deep roots in the class uh, in the class that like the communist and social democratic parties had. Um, but that still try to, like, mobilize people on the basis of, like, making radical demands and talking about revolution in a way that I think is genuine. Right. But it's not it's not the same thing as, like, you know. Organizing the class in, in ways which I think are sometimes really dull and not super fun or whatever. Um, I don't think conspiratorial is the right term for it. I think am I like, am
1: I characterizing what he
0: said improperly? I don't think so. Um, I'm looking back at just, this. Is part of the problem with a lot of like left wing um, polemics is like you ha- you kind of have to know that McNair is in the Communist Party of Great Britain and he's criticizing the SWP in the United Kingdom. For the basically the way that they conduct themselves inside of like large scale front groups, mm-hmm. where they're a constituent element of like a kind of united front operation, um, but they don't really act operate in good faith. And yeah, he's basically and he... trying to gl- he's trying to graft together too many criticisms into a, an overarching critique um, that like he was looking for the original sin of the SWP's practice, and and so his critique of his criticism of socialism below as a as an undialectical framework. It loses its its kind of power as he starts to add other elements to it, I think.
1: Right. like I definitely uh, sympathize with his criticism of the of the IST the SAVP and the IST organizations as being a sort of like um, top down dictatorial kind of structure uh, with very loose lip service paid to democratic organization. But um, I mean, I agree with that. I just don't necessarily know if that comes from socialism from below. But I, I, if if what he is referring to is its operation within um uh social movements, one of the things that he says is that what ends up happening is that because these are not democratic, decisions are not made democratically, you end up with an invisible dictatorship. So basically whoever and th- this is what we actually used to be criticized of all the time is all the socialists show up they all put out coherent arguments they all agree and they all back each other up and they're able to sway the room because you know no one else has any sort of organization and there isn't really a very st- structured democratic process the socialists are able to like take over and run everything and that's exactly what we used to always do when we worked I mean, in coalitions
0: that's true it is what we used to always do
1: yeah and uh that's that's not wrong. I just don't think that that's a result of socialism from below as being an organizing principle.
2: So it's, it's more a function of perhaps, um, uh, just party discipline, maybe, maybe a version of Leninism, uh, driving that less so, uh, uh than a notion of social socialism from below driving it. But I, I think that, <laughs> I don't know. Some of those criticisms of uh, uh, of that being an undemocratic practice in a coalition organizing is coming from people who don't know how to or don't want effective organization to exist on any level. Uh, yeah, uh, I agree. Like I operating agree. In, in in coalition, in, in, I don't know. I've had enough uh, experiences of attempting to operate in co- in coalitions. Uh, uh, broad left coalitions that uh, want to be democratic that are just utterly incoherent and incapable of taking any action whatsoever without everyone getting pissed off at everybody else for not doing it their way or not you know uh, having their their vote being the one that wins out and i'm just like it's, it's sometimes you just have to like come in take charge and make shit happen and that's fine i'm okay with that i think it's good actually a lot of the time
0: yeah um i mean i think a lot of the criticisms of the iso's conduct in coalition work are are valid because i think there's something to be said about like recognizing the maturity of the movement and trying to kind of hold things together which sometimes means not always going for the jugular you know leaving open the space for the various partnerships that you're building to continue to exist but the the bending the stick whatever too hard in the other direction gets you essentially the conduct of the DSA (laughs) um, which which is essentially to like desperately cling to equal partnership at all times and never like taking a lead and never like never utilizing the the coalition partnership for the building of socialism you know
1: I just I kind of want to defend uh you know, the ISO a little bit when it comes against myself. Damn. Just now. (laughs) Super dialectical there. (laughs) No, I mean, like, when a group of socialists enters into a coalition and they're the only ones that have coherent arguments and a vision for what they would like to see happen, and they argue well enough to convince everybody to do, to convince a majority to do what they want to do, that's not the fault of the socialists. That's the fault of everyone else for not being organized and not having their coherent arguments like ready. <laughs> and I can think back to a, like a dozen instances of coalitions that would have just petered out and gone to nothing if it wasn't for socialists taking the lead. Yeah, me too. You know, um, or, or would have just been like, yeah, man. And this is a real example. You know, we just need to all show up with musical instruments and then we could like, you know, have face painting and hold up signs and just, have like a silent protest where we held signs and played instruments the whole time that would
0: have been like the end result of the coalition god you know? that was really was a dark um, fucking time wasn't it
1: <laughs> and i just got to say that like there was a reason that the sect form flourished for so long in the cold war and put po- and immediately post-cold war era and that's because it was a group of disciplined people that were the only ones who were able to show up in public and make arguments
0: yeah I think that's all true, I think it's uh, we're very far off the map now, but
1: uh, it's peripherally related
0: what's the verdict on socialism
2: from below?
1: sometimes it's a good idea <laughs>
2: to have some socialism from below I think the verdict on the whole on the whole is that it's a uh, an incoherent analytical framework as applied by uh its progenitors uh but uh that there is some use value uh, maybe you could say in in uh sort of focusing uh, uh marxist's attention to the necessity of uh organizing the masses as as the basis of all political power that we have as 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 a left
0: i think what i would say about socialism from below is that it's uh insufficiently dialectical <laughs> uh and i know that's like that's the criticism that i have of everything on the left um Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I think it's important to say that I don't think, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that Hal Draper and C.L.R. James and, uh, you know, like this whole previous generation of Marxists during the Cold War kind of marginalized outside of official communism, um, but with legitimate criticisms of the, uh, you know, actually existing socialist states. I'm not trying to say that they got Marxism wrong and I got it right or we got it right. I think that we can acknowledge and kind of credit their uh, ability to see, you know, to try to embody the revolutionary democratic spirit of 1917 when they saw it, you know, being squashed, being tamped down, being officially discouraged. Um, But you know, the Fourth International, the left opposition, the the mainstream Trotskyists, they always wanted back in. You know, they wanted back into the communist movement. And we never got the chance to get all the way back in because the whole thing fell apart. I think to constitute ourselves as a distinct official socialism from below tendency, absent the, you know, the...
1: Absent the framework of socialism from above as the official socialism of world communism.
0: Yeah, like outside of that, you know, particular... uh, set of historical circumstances um, it, it doesn't really make a lot of sense and, and it does essentially seem to amount to uh, we're comfortable being the voice of opposition and sort of uncomfortable with the concept of power and I think you can see that sort of playing out um, in the way that the left has not been able to do much other than protest for like a couple decades now yeah. If communism is the you know the real movement to abolish the, the the existing state of things and if the communists don't have any special program other than that of the workers movement itself, right? If we if we if we really just seek to involve ourselves in what actually exists before us and you know get in the cracks and break things open and regardless of what it looks like, you know whether whether it looks the way we want it to or not, then you know, in order to try to move things forward and, and alter the terrain by whatever, heightening the contradictions and uh, socialism from below, seems to be in the 21st century a, a dereliction of duty. It seems to say, like I don't, I don't yet see the the movement that I imagined and desired, and so uh, until that is until that those circumstances present themselves, I'll, I'll remain here on the sidelines as a critic. The, the, the people in the past are doing the best that they can, right? We have, the, we have the good fortune as well as the curse of being present in this moment and being able to look backward. And if we can criticize, you know, the well-meaning communists who sided with the Stalinists, I think we can also criticize the well-meaning communists who, uh, who said, like, they want nothing to do with the mainstream workers' movement we can we can look back on the whole last century as a series of heroic failures and you know we don't have to reproduce them in either sense
1: so is the takeaway from the failures of socialism from below as a framework that everyone should join the DSA and go block walk for Bernie Sanders fuck <laughs> I don't
0: know if I would Cause s- that's what
1: that's kind of what it sounds like. And that's what that's what the uh, the I think the, a lot of people who are looking just to label us sock dims and ignore us. That's what they would take away from that statement.
0: OK, that's a fair criticism. I think you could you could read that into it for sure. Um, so I guess the answer is kind of uh, it's contradictory. I sort of feel like yes and sort of feel like no. And what I mean by that is, uh. Look, I don't necessarily think anybody should join the DSA. Uh, it's a it's a fucking mess. And it's uh, not because it's like, you know, reformist and it's the wrong socialism or whatever, but because it's chaos. Um, and I think, you know, people come to socialism because they want organization. They want clarity. And you won't find a lot of that in DSA. You know, maybe there's a certain type of person that's going to be able to institute some of that. But I don't know. It also, well, I mean it also might be just transitional phenomenon you know it might be just that it was the left of the moment and maybe the next one's better right like we've said before
1: i mean it also is the wrong kind of socialism yeah for sure it absolutely is that but what it is is it's a kind of socialism and it's where all the people that are talking about socialism are so if you didn't have any other options getting involved in the DSA to talk about socialism with other people who are talking about socialism you know might be an okay thing to do but at the same time yeah it's like do you want to devote your energy to trying to or try to win people in your in your local to an idea that no one else in the organization has any? obligation to adopt even if like the national organization adopts it you know i mean
0: right um yeah yeah i mean i think i think it'd be a mistake and i think it would be a sectarian mistake to to say i'm gonna have nothing to do with you know the mass of socialists that my generation is producing right now you know that doesn't mean you necessarily have to try to operate inside dsa but i think to have some kind of a relationship to the existing socialist movement i think that that's kind of the whole point we're trying to make here right exactly yeah so you you can't ignore it but it doesn't mean you have to be a part of it you know officially it's not it's not a matter of i don't think we should think of it as a matter of the right kind of socialism hasn't come along yet and we have to kind of you know encapsulate it and articulate it to people and embody it and then it will grow and then that's the thing like the actual movement at the present moment is a horrendously flawed and yet it is in motion so you either insert yourselves into it or you don't right but i don't think you get to wish a new better version of it into existence and i don't think you get to wait on the sidelines either so in some way or another whether you're inside dsa or outside or you're in the communist party usa or a trotskyist group or a marxist center group or whatever it is we have to have some relationship to the actual uh state of things um and it can't just be that's not good enough you know it can't just be as critics it has to be as as because yeah you're right it's not good enough right and that's what this whole conversation has been about is that the whole last uh the whole last century eh, none of it was good enough